Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be with you this Sunday after Christmas. And we have been in a sermon series over the past several weeks called Waiting for the King. And now this past week, we have celebrated Christmas. We celebrated the first coming of Jesus, the one true king. And today, we're going to look at a story about the early part of Jesus' life. And there's not many stories about the early part of Jesus' life, so this is a very unique story in that way. And as we look at it, we're going to see that Jesus even then, had a profound impact on the people who were all around him. And even 2,000 years later, for us today, he has that same kind of impact. So as we prepare to hear from God's word, will you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for this day. Thank you, Lord, that we could gather together to celebrate and to worship. We thank you too, Lord God, for your word, that it is living, that it is active, that it's just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. We ask now, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying, give us hearts to respond to it. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In your name we pray, amen. Hear God's word from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. I remember June 25th, 2012, very clearly. It was a Monday. It was the first day of vacation Bible school here. And as I had done the past seven summers, I was in charge of recreation out on the blacktop just behind us. Caroline, my wife, who had helped me um, many of the years before that, was not helping out this year because she was a little over eight months pregnant. And we thought 100 degrees on blacktop may not be the best place for her at that time. No, this story does not end with people coming to our child and bowing down and worshiping him, in case you were wondering that. But during Vacation Bible School that morning, Caroline texted me and said, hey, when you have a chance, give me a call, no big deal. And so um, I waited till our, our break and I gave her a call. It was important that she did tell me it was no big deal. When you're over eight months pregnant, texting your husband, hey, call me, could be very heart-stopping without the no big deal text. And it was, it was a no big deal. And it, but in the midst of our no big deal conversation, 
Our lives were changed by six words. She said, I think my water just broke. And so, just over 24 hours later, McRae was born. Our life changed dramatically in that very short period of time. We went from being a family of two to a family of three, from being just a couple to being parents. My life was very different even in that short period of time. And I remember thinking very clearly as I drove out of the church parking lot to go get Caroline, I thought to myself, my life is never going to be the same. And it wasn't a complaint. It wasn't. It was just a statement. It was a statement of what reality now was for me. And it was going to be for my family. And I think underneath that statement that I made to myself was this question. A question that I was asking myself of, how will I respond to this new reality? All of us ask ourselves that question at different times and in different stages of our lives. Sometimes it's in very small moments. Other times it's in very big moments. But all of us wonder, how will we respond to whatever it is that's going on around us? And as we think about how we respond to something, our scripture today asks us a question. It asks this question of how will we respond to Jesus, who is the one true king? And Matthew invites us to explore that question as he relays to us this story. How do we respond to Jesus as the one true king? Now, for many of us here who have grown up in the United States, this idea of having a king is maybe a hard concept for us to get our, our minds around. We don't totally get that. But in essence, what this question is asking us is this. How do we respond to Jesus who has the power to exercise absolute authority, which he always does in love, over all that he rules, which is everything? How will we live in light of the fact that Jesus is the king of kings, the one who is in control of everything, including every aspect and every part of our lives? Matthew tells us the story of the Magi and teaches about this message. And I don't want us to lose the fact that this is about Jesus, but we do need to think about who the Magi are to know a little bit more about them to help us understand this even more. And the first thing we have to know about the Magi is we actually don't know a lot about them. They were likely astrologers or, or maybe astronomers, both of those things together. Uh, they believed then that important events on earth, like the birth of a king, would be foretold in the heavens. They weren't foolish men. They weren't just these superstitious guys who paid attention to the stars and followed the star randomly. They were part of the cultural elite. They were, they were well-trained. They were educated. Some people even believe that these, this line of wise men could have been brought up in the training that Daniel was brought up in back in the Old Testament. So Daniel, who was portrayed as a very wise man, these wise men, these magi, were also potentially like Daniel in that way. So they were not uneducated people, but were very well-to-do, very educated. And they were from the East, Matthew tells us. And that means being from the East they would have been very devoted to their king or to their queen. And there's a theory about these magi that they were Persian, which would mean then that they would refer to their king as king of kings. And we know too that they were very wealthy based on the gifts that they brought to Jesus. They were also Gentiles, being not Jewish, being from the East, that made them people outside of what was thought of as God's chosen people. And yet they came seeking this king of the Jews because Jesus 
is a king for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Jesus is the one true king. And our passage shows us three different ways of responding to Jesus as the true king. King Herod had a response. The chief priests and teachers of the law had a response. And the Magi had a response. Now, Herod, he was king of that area. He had set himself up to be considered the king of the Jews, which is interesting because he wasn't actually Jewish, but he ruled from Jerusalem like King David had done and many of the kings after him. He obeyed the Jewish law. He followed the Jewish traditions. King Herod had being Jewish or being considered Jewish very high on his list of important things. But even more important to Herod than being considered Jewish was being in power, being in control. Herod loved power so much. He loved being king so much that he actually had several of his sons killed so that they wouldn't threaten him for his throne. And so when Herod heard the news that the king of the Jews had been born, he didn't want a competitor. He didn't want anyone else to take his throne from him. He didn't want to lose his power. And so he was disturbed, Matthew says. And if we think about it, Jesus is a disturbing person. When he comes into our lives, he resets our priorities. He redefines what's right and what's good and what's just. He changes what used to be important to us. And he can and he does upset our comfortable lives. Jesus challenges our rule for our lives. And that's disturbing. But Herod wasn't disturbed because of his priorities being changed by Jesus. They probably weren't changed all that much. He was disturbed, plain and simple, by the threat to his power. And the rest of Jerusalem was disturbed by this news as well, because if Herod was willing to kill his own children to protect his power, what else might he do to keep his power all around Jerusalem? And we're told, and we're going to see a little bit later in our series, exactly what Herod did, but in short, Herod has all the boys who are two years old and younger executed. That's how much Herod wanted to keep his power. He attempted to eliminate Jesus by taking away any hope of his power and control. And I think this is something that that all of us actually do to some extent. Jesus makes claims on us about things that we believe. He asks us to change things. And if we did that, that would make us uncomfortable. It might trouble us. And so what we do is we ignore those claims. If we don't like what Jesus is saying about loving our enemies or giving our money or leaving a life of sin, we change what he says. We rationalize our behavior. We keep ourselves in control and we try to keep the authority over our lives, not giving it over to Jesus. We, like Herod, may go to extreme measures to keep Jesus out of our lives or, or parts of our lives because we want to be the one who is the king of our life. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, that I have to ask myself, is where am I attempting to keep Jesus away from his rightful place as true king of my life? Now, Herod, he wanted to be considered king of the Jews, but he didn't have everything down. He didn't know the scriptures like the chief priests and the teachers of the law did. And so for Herod to know more about this Messiah, this king of the Jews, he brought in these men, these chief priests and teachers, so that he could understand the scriptures a little bit more. And the chief priests and teachers give us another way of responding to Jesus as the true king. Now, there's not a whole lot said about them in this passage, but in the few words we have, 
we see that their response was likely shaped by what their expectations were about who the Messiah should be and what the Messiah should do. It was a similar response to Herod in that they were still the ones in control of everything, but they relied on scripture in a way that Herod hadn't. But for the chief priests and teachers, instead of having God's word shape their understanding, they had their understanding shape what God's word said. The men who gathered together to help Herod here, they knew the Old Testament inside and out. They had the Old Testament memorized, all of it. They knew the prophecies about the Messiah. And they were even looking for him to come. They believed he was coming soon. And although they knew the scripture, they failed to act when Jesus was born. Now, up until a few years ago, my parents lived in northern New Jersey, uh, which is where I was born and raised, which meant at this time of year, I had the lovely task of driving up 95 at Christmas time. Uh, 95 north at any time of year is probably something we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy. But then at Christmas, the traffic is just a nightmare. Almost every single time a GPS alert or the signs over the road would say, traffic delay, plan alternate route. And thanks to those things, I did have the knowledge to avoid the uh, bad traffic at, at any time I wanted to. I had all the information available to me on my phone or on the signs. But if I didn't use that information, I would just get stuck on 95 with everyone else wishing I was somewhere else. Simply knowing about the traffic wasn't gonna do me any good if I wanted to avoid it. I needed to take action to avoid it. The teachers, the chief priests, they knew the information. They knew about the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the King of Kings, but they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything because they didn't like who the true King was. They didn't like that Jesus did not meet their expectations for the Messiah. And in over my 20 plus years in student ministry in New Jersey and here, I've had conversations many times with students that, that demonstrate this kind of thinking. And I think we all fall into this to some degree or another. We say things like, well, the Jesus I believe in would never do this. Or I could never worship a God who would do this. And while those feelings may be valid that bring about those statements, those statements are made based on our personal expectations of Jesus as well as our cultural expectations of who Jesus should be. They're not based on what scripture tells us Jesus is and who Jesus himself says he is. And when we do this, when we allow our expectations and our cultural teachings and expectations to define who Jesus is, we miss out on who God really is. We miss out on true and abundant life. Life that's promised by God that comes only through the reign of the true king. So where in your life might you have a perception or expectation of Jesus that's shaped more by our culture or by our desires? Now, I realize this is true for me, that it's hard to recognize uh, where I have this problem because I'm really good at convincing myself I'm right. I am an oldest child that kind of comes with the territory always being right. But we are good at tricking ourselves, at fooling ourselves into thinking that what we think about Jesus is correct. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, or if you're sure you're not a Christian. 
It's always good to explore where we get our ideas about Jesus from. If you have someone in your life who you trust, who knows Jesus, talk with them about him. Read the Bible to see what scripture tells us about who Jesus is and what it means that he is the true king. No one should miss out on knowing Jesus because of misconceived expectations. That was the chief priest's problem. That was the teachers of the law problem. They had expectations that weren't being met by who Jesus really was, and so they missed him. And so we look now to the Magi's response. When I was a little kid, my parents had these coffee table books that Life Magazine had put out, and it, it had pictures of through the decades. And I remember looking through the, the decade of the 60s and seeing pictures of people who were seeing the Beatles for the first time. And they had looks of, of awe and wonder, and just they were screaming, and they were, they were crying. And as, I don't know, a 10-year-old boy, I didn't understand why were people crying over four guys from Britain with bowl cuts who, who played musical instruments? Like, what was the big deal about crying over the Beatles? And, and maybe if it wasn't the Beatles for you, if maybe it was NSYNC or the Jonas Brothers or Justin Bieber or BTS or whoever it might be, maybe you respond with tears over these people, these artists. I don't. That's just not, not how I respond to those, those musicians. Why do I mention, mention this? I mention it because appropriate response and form is hard to judge. It's a hard concept to nail down, but our scripture does tell us there is an appropriate response to Jesus as true king, and that's worship and self-giving. We need to remember that the Magi, they're from the east, and up until this point, they worshiped their king. They didn't just have the king rule over them. They worshiped their king. There were also Gentiles, people who should not have ever been allowed near the Jewish Messiah. The teachers and the priests, they would have been outraged that these Gentiles, these pagans, came and worshiped the Messiah first. How could God allow that to happen? God allowed that to happen because Jesus is more than just the king for the Jews. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the one true king. And so the Magi responded rightly to the one who is just such a king. And it's not just the fact that the Magi were worshiping Jesus. We also need to recognize that it was important how they came to him, that they were seeking him. They saw a star, something that all people would have seen. And when God reveals himself in this way, in nature, in creation, it's what theologians call general revelation. It's a manner of God revealing himself so that all people can know a little bit about God. And so the Magi follow this star, it leads them, but they only get so far while they're doing this. They have to stop and ask for directions, and this is what they do when they get to Jerusalem. And it's here where Scripture then informs them on where to go and what to look for. And when Scripture tells us about who God is and where we can find him, this is what's called special revelation. And when it comes to encountering Jesus, when both general revelation and special revelation are present, they always agree. There's no conflict. And we here in this story see great agreement between the star and the scripture proclaiming Jesus as the one true king. And so this draws the magi to Jesus. It transforms them into people who recognize Jesus' kingship. And it's interesting also to recognize that, that God spoke to the magi through something that they paid attention to. 
they were people who studied the stars. And so God used the stars, something that they were in tune with, to bring them to Jesus. So where in your life might God be using something that you're used to, that you pay attention to, to draw, him, draw you closer to him? God will do that, and he does that. And when the Magi did this, they encountered Jesus, and they give him gifts that they had originally intended for their king, and maybe even for the gods that they formerly worshipped. They bowed down before the little boy Jesus, praising him as he rightly deserved. Worship and self-giving, that's the proper response when God calls people to himself through Jesus Christ. And it's not just in church, in worship, in our time together here for about an hour or so every week. It's in all places, at all times, as we live our lives. Worship is the response we have to God for the gift of Jesus Christ, our true king. Does our life together as a community here at Third reflect this? Does your life reflect this? Does it show a response to the greatness of God, our, of Jesus, our true king? How would your work look different if, if you viewed it as worship? How would your time in school or your leisure time or your use of money, how would that be different if you saw it as worship? How do we worship God in those places and parts of our lives? Well, after the Magi worshiped Jesus, and while they were preparing to go back home, they had a unique experience. They had God telling them in a dream to go back home a different way than they came. After they met Jesus and worshiped him, their route was changed. That's how God works. When we truly experience the kingship of Jesus, our lives get changed. Our paths are different. The Magi disregarded the route that they had come from, the way that they knew. They took a new path, one that was unknown to them. And so this response raises yet another question for us. Are we living our lives differently because we've encountered Jesus as king? Am I doing that? Are you doing that? Is your life different because of Jesus? Am I treating my neighbors differently with care and concern? Am I looking out for the poor and for the needy? Am I being more patient with my brother or sister or the slow driver? Are you living differently because of Jesus? Has your root been changed? Herod wanted to have the Magi return to him so he could kill Jesus. And what's interesting is that the Magi, they were the first Gentiles to refer to Jesus as king of the Jews. The next Gentiles to do this do it almost 30 years later. And those Gentiles who do this are Roman soldiers who instead of giving Jesus a, a golden crown, give him a crown of thorns. Instead of lifting him up on a throne, they lift him up on the cross. It's not what you think the true king would allow to have happen. Yet Jesus yielded to his Father's will, taking our sin upon him and taking our penalty so that we would be saved. Jesus, the true king, gave up all of his power to become the sacrifice that all of us need. And this is a demonstration of God's mercy and grace given to each of us and to all of us. Jesus demands a response. We can be like Herod, and continue to rule our lives as our own king at all costs and keep Jesus away from his loving rule over our lives. We can be like the chief priests and teachers of the law. We can know a lot about him. We can impress others with our knowledge, but we can still miss his grace and mercy. We can miss the life that he has for us 
because while we know a lot about him, we don't like the true king because he doesn't line up with our expectations. Or we can respond like the Magi with worship and self-giving. It can be risky, but when we truly encounter Jesus, the one true king, we can have no other response. We give all of who we are to him, and we have the root of our lives changed by Jesus' gracious and loving rule over our lives. And so as we look ahead to this new year, may we be people who are led by God's spirit to Jesus, the true king, and may we be changed by him as we worship him with all of our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the true king and that you reign in peace and love and in grace and mercy. And you exercise your rule over our lives for our good, Lord God. We ask that you would help us to see, Jesus, where it is you are calling us to yield to your reign so that we might live under your gracious and beneficial rule. Make us more and more into your image, we pray. Amen.